Well, it's a little weird that I'm once again speaking to you from our home, the Abbey of the Way, on the very day when some of us are gathered for live worship at the Bell Hill Sanctuary for the first time in months, and others of us are gathered in the Fellowship Hall of Quinsigamond Village for a worship watch party around the big screen. But for the foreseeable future, we'll be having this mixture of live and virtual worshipers gathering together in the unity of the Spirit. Hallie and I will be essentially staying here at home until we get vaccinated for COVID, but we are grateful for God's presence and yours with us. Besides, I'm working on developing some magnificent pandemic hair, either a trip back into the 1970s like this, or a cross between Howard Stern and Doc Brown of the Back to the Future movies of the 1980s. Seriously though, being confined sometimes leads me to ask some hard questions. Does anyone notice that we're gone? Does anybody care that we're out of circulation? Do they remember us? My sense is that a lot of us may be feeling some alienation these days. It's understandable and are being separated from others in the usual way, but this can lead to a sense of being abandoned or even neglected. And this can be particularly true for children, for though parents and school-aged children are more together than ever, the way we parents and grandparents are obsessed with our technology may make children feel more neglected than ever. So this summer, we're likely to hear children's voices shouting all the louder, Dad, look at me. Mom, look at me. Hopefully getting a response like, I see you. That's awesome. I can remember one of my daughters repeatedly saying, Dad, listen to me, sometimes turning my head to actually look at her. And then there's the story of Brooks Adams, a historian of the early 20th century, and his father, Charles Francis Adams, who was ambassador to Great Britain and the son of U.S. President John Quincy Adams. Well, the elder Adams took his son fishing one day, and the son wrote in his diary that night, went fishing with father the most wonderful day of my life. Well, after his father died, the son found his father's diary and read the entry on the same day. It read, went fishing with my son, a day wasted. Ouch. See, this need for being seen and recognized and belonging is universal. When it's there, it can lead to a sense of security and confidence and accomplishments. When it's not, it can prevent us from thriving and growing and achieving. All of us, either on the church campus or online, have experienced our share of being alienated, neglected, or even abandoned, some of us way more than others, as is becoming clearer with each and every day. Well, God himself seeks to repair that damage by becoming one of us in Jesus, who himself was despised and rejected, and by coming to us in the Holy Spirit personally, face to face, eye to eye. For as we'll see, he is El Roy, the God who sees me and the God who sees us. The Journey Preaching Team is working through the biblical names of God in order to get a better sense of who God is and what he's like. Now, some of those names are those by which God introduces himself, such as Pastor Tom told us about in the name Elohim, the living God, the creator of all things. The name we hear when God says in his giving the Ten Commandments, I am the Lord, your Elohim. God identifying himself by name as the most holy creator of all. 
Other names of God come from his people, as Pastor Paul told us about last week, in the name El Elyon, the Lord Most High, higher than any other so-called gods or idols, as when the prophet priest Melchizedek blessed Abraham in the name of God Most High. Well, the name El Roy, God who sees me, is also a human-invented name given to God, which God receives and I believe appreciates. For the concept of an all-seeing God runs throughout the Bible. In Psalm 139, David writes of God, You knit me together in my mother's womb. He also says, Your eyes saw my unformed body. When God meets Moses at the burning bush in Exodus 3, 7, God says, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. And after the Virgin Mary meets God's angel Gabriel, she sings in Luke chapter 1, God has regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. The writer of Psalm 33:18 says, The eyes of the Lord are on those who reverence him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love. And in 2 Chronicles 16.9, the prophet Hanani says, The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. I can remember that as a newly converted believer in college, I had this hair and I also had the joy of feeling for the first time like I was in God's eye. I was kind of in a beam of God's gaze all throughout the day, which gave me confidence and purpose that I'd never had. Now that sense of being seen by God continues for me today, and as fact is I'm having that feeling right now. Hallie and I once gave that dad look at me child a picture of Jesus, the kind whose eyes follow you wherever you go in the room, as God's eyes do wherever we go. So the reality of an all-seeing God is all over the Bible and the experience of those who fear him, who reverence him, whose hearts are committed to him. But the actual name, the God who sees me, is stated only once in the Bible, and it's a foreign slave woman in misery who speaks it. In the middle of the Genesis narrative of the lives of Abram and Sarai, our father and mother in faith, we find the really difficult story of Hagar, the Egyptian slave who belonged to Sarai. Yes, the Bible tells us the whole ugly truth that all of us believers have faith ancestors who were slaveholders, if not slave traders. And though some say that these biblical slaves aren't subject to the same abuse as were those in the United States, we'll see that this isn't so. So in Genesis 12, God called Abram, then 75 years old and childless, and told him that he would have a child and also many descendants. Ten years later, in Genesis 15, God repeated this promise with an oath ceremony that Abram would have a son. And it says that Abram believed and God credited righteousness to him based on his faith, the same credit that comes to us by our faith in Jesus Christ. Well, Abram would need that credit, as we'll see. For by no more than a year later in Genesis 16, Sarai and Abram can wait for God's promise no longer. So Sarai suggests to Abram, her husband, that he should sleep with her slave, Hagar, have a child with that slave, so that Abram and Sarah can build a surrogate family through the slave woman. It says, Sarai gave Hagar to Abram. 
Now, in this, Hagar has no choice. She has no rights. She's the property of Sarai. That's the nature of slavery. Hagar doesn't want this. Now, there's a technical term for what happens here. It's called rape. Abram sleeps with Hagar, and she conceives a child. Now, bearing an unwanted pregnancy, which has been forced on her, she despises her mistress, Sarai. So Sarai mistreats and abuses Hagar, who eventually flees from her mistress into the desert. Alone, defenseless, without food, water, or shelter, and pregnant. She is scared, lonely, and unloved. Does anybody care about her and her unborn child? Does God care? Does he even notice her? I wonder how many times around the world this very story gets played out, including the neglect, the abuse, and the abandonment. And how many more times this kind of story happens, including perhaps in your life or in mine. So we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 16 and verse 7. I'm going to read it for you from the New International Version. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was spring, that, that is, it was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. So Hagar gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. Well, let's notice a few things here. Back in verse 7, the angel of the Lord found Hagar, it says. God sought her out. Just as he did when Adam and Eve were in fear, hiding from him in the garden. God sees her. God seeks her out, even though no one else is. David says in Psalm 27:10, Even if my father and mother left me, the Lord would take me in. That's the seeing, seeking nature of our God. In verse 8, the Lord said to her through the angel, Hagar. He calls her by name, this human property who is heavenly treasure to God. In Isaiah 43, 1, God says to the prophet, I have called you by name. You are mine, but not God's property, God's slave, but God's child. And the same is true for all who are in Jesus Christ, his son. We are children of God because God has chosen us and has adopted us and called us by name. The angel says, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? Well, God knows the answer to these questions, but he's addressing her personally. He wants to know her story. And he'll do the same for you and me, as Jesus did for those two disciples on the, uh, the day of the resurrection after Jesus had died. They were on their way back home on the Emmaus Road. He asked them a lot of questions 
for he cares about everything that was happening to Hagar, to those two, and he cares about everything that happens to you. Verses 10 and 11, the angel gives her God's promise, the same given to Abraham and Sarai, descendants too numerous to count, beginning with her own son, whom God names Ishmael, which means God hears. For as the angel says, the Lord has heard of your misery. See, God hears the cry of this Egyptian slave woman. God will hear the cries later of the Israelites in slavery in Egypt, six centuries on. And so God will hear your cry and that of the global family in these hard times. But then there's verse 9. The angel also tells or commands her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. A seemingly abusive command to go back into bondage. But actually, this move is part of God's plan for the fullness of time for Hagar's freedom once Isaac, the biological son of Abraham and Sarah, is born, and Hagar is then set free by God. You see, God hears Hagar. He sees her. He knows the plans he has for her. As God says in Jeremiah 29, 11, not to everyone, but to those who hear and follow his ways, as did Hagar. I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope. Submission to God unlocks his good plans. And that's when Hagar speaks prophetically of God in verse 13, giving this name to the Lord who speaks to her. You are the God who sees me, El Roy the one who sees her in her misery and responds, the same one who sees you and me right now with that same love. For perhaps you're in a similar situation to Hagar. You've lost your job, you've lost your place, your income, your provision, your covering. Or maybe you've lost a friend or a spouse or a parent or a community. Or maybe you've been abused and despised. You've been rejected. You've been humiliated. You've been overlooked. Maybe you've been betrayed. You've been treated unjustly. You've been denied access. Or you've even been driven out. Or perhaps you just feel lonely, afraid, unloved, and abandoned. Or you're close to someone who is. And you wonder about what God is doing about it. If that's so, first of all, know that you're not alone. Misery does have company. And added to our misery are the questions of whether anyone actually cares about us in our situation and whether God really cares. Well, as we've seen in this scripture, the answer to that last question is a resounding yes. For there is a God who sees you, who sees me, who sees us all. Of the 7.8 billion people on the planet, God sees you just as he sees me and Hallie confined to our home. He calls us by name. He says to us, you are mine. In fact, he gives us a new name, no longer to be called forsaken or desolate, but rather married to him and his delight forever. He counts up every hair on our heads, including this pandemic hair. He captures every one of our tears in his mourning bottle. He sends you his helpers, human and angelic, to assist you. He gives you his presence in the Holy Spirit living inside you. He's created you for good so that you might walk in his steps. 
And he wants to send you to others in misery to point to him who is also for them. He is the God who sees you, who remembers you, who invites you to come to him. The question is, do you believe this? Now notice in Genesis 16 and verse 13 that Hagar not only calls God the God who sees me, she also says there, I have seen the one who sees me. God's presence, which she now sees, is going to make all the difference in her life. So have you yet seen the one who sees you and your situation? Are you aware of the presence of God who sees you today? That's a critical question, one that you can answer this very day. If you honestly say, no, I, I got to tell you, I haven't seen him who supposedly sees me then perhaps you need to look a little more closely and intently for him. James 4.8 says this. It's a promise. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. So here's what I'm going to suggest, that you go back to the beginning in the Bible. Now, don't go back to the book of Genesis. We were there today. But go back to the beginning with Jesus in the gospel stories, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, where you can learn or relearn about the one who sees you, and the one who once said to his followers, if you've seen me, you have seen God the Father. Look at him. Watch him as he seeks and saves lost, lonely, little people like you and me, offering himself as their help, their hope, and their master. Listen to him as he asks you to submit to him, to follow his plan for your life. Let him live with you walk with you, lead you in these tough days. Today, if you're on a campus, you can seek out one of the pastors or one of the members to pray with you this morning so that you can join Hagar in saying, I've seen him who sees me. And if you're online now, you can type a request for prayer in the Facebook comics section, or you can use that prayer link that was mentioned on the Journey Facebook page on the bulletin, the Sunday bulletin. Now, if you once did see God who sees you, but you don't much now, then perhaps you need to let him show you what he sees in you. He will once again show you his immense forever love for you, that you are his beloved. But that includes his pointing out the ways that you may have strayed from his love. For in seeing us with love, in loving us, God also sees the sin in us and loves us enough to point that out and the sin of our own selves and the sin of others that may have led us into bad places, such as we may be in right now, whether it be a bad place in life or a bad place with him that we just don't see him. In Hebrews 4.13, we're reminded that nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Perhaps it's time for you to uncover whatever you've hidden from God, whether it be your sin or just your grief and your anger about life, so that you can give an account to him and so that he can lovingly credit righteousness from Jesus to the low balance which you may have right now. And again, today, please be sure to seek prayer about that. Now, if you do see him who sees you as preparing this message has helped me to do again, then make sure to tell others about this wonderful name of God, that we worship the God who sees me and the God who sees you and them.
I can tell you I didn't come to recognize this name of God by myself. I was led into it by others who told me about this seeing God revealed in Jesus. It seemed to be a foreign concept at first that the one whose fingers worked out the heavens and placed the stars in their places would actually be mindful of me, as Psalm 8 said, would actually see me. But once I surrendered to him as he is, once I came to see him as he is, then I knew from that day until this very day that he is God, he is the great I am, but he is the God who sees me just as I am and whom I will see one day face to face by grace through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. Now, in the film series about Jesus and his followers, which is called The Chosen, and I highly recommend it. You can find it on your computer. It's not on TV. It's not in theaters. But check it out. We're given an idea of some of the possible backstory to the real story of Jesus and his followers told in the gospel. Now, one story told is that of Simon Peter's wife, who was given a name, Eden. Their marriage is set against the Bible stories, of her mother who is sick, and Jesus calling Peter to leave everything, including his home, to follow him. Now in one invented scene, which makes sense to me based on all of the scriptures, Jesus speaks with Eden just before the scene in the Bible where Jesus goes to help her sick mother, Peter's mother-in-law. Take a look at this. (coughs) Eden. Jesus. I I wasn't expecting you here. People usually aren't. Can I get you something warm to drink? I was just stoking the fire. You saw it first, you know. What do you mean? What I see in Simon. You were the first person to notice when no one else did. That connects us. My mother said I was drawn to his wildness and that I would regret it. (laughs) I wonder what she will say now. We're uh, going into town to sell these nets. We'll be right back. Stay here a moment, Simon. I just want to leave some extra money behind for Eden and Emma while I'm away. Put your nets down and go sit with your mother-in-law. <laughs> it's all right. told Simon to make sacrifices and leave things behind in order to follow me. You are one flesh with Simon. He cannot make sacrifices that are not also yours. You have a role to play in all of this. Do I? You will know in time. (coughs) I can't make everything about this easier for you wouldn't be our people's way. (laughs) No, it has not been. Nor will it continue to be. But I see you. You understand? I know it is not easy to be at home when your husband is out doing all of this even when you are excited about it and proud of him. So, 
I wouldn't ask you to do this without taking care of a few things. You mean... Plus, normal Simon is difficult enough. You think I want to travel with a worried Simon? <laughs> no. No, I do not. <laughs> I feel respect. Her forehead burns my hand to the touch. We should get a doctor. There is no need. Is he? This is the God who sees, who sees Eden, sees her mother, sees Peter, sees me and Hallie and you and everyone. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are indeed the God who sees. And I thank you, God, that you have seen me and you have known me. And that by your merciful grace in your son, Jesus, that I now, like Hagar, know I have seen the one who sees me. So God, I pray today that there would be more of us who would see you as you really are, the one who sees us, who recognizes us, who understands us, who sees our needs, who responds to us, who changes us, who corrects us, who directs us. Thank you, God, for being the God who sees not just us, but everyone that we'll meet. And may you give us grace to point the way, to say, this is the God who sees you. Come and see him with me. In your name we pray. Amen. <laughs>